This episode of the FDNY Pro Podcast is brought to you by the FDNY, FDNY Foundation, and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Murray, and today I'll be speaking with FDNY Chief of Safety Mike Myers. Mike, good to have you here. Thanks, Brian. Well, happy to be here. So this episode is being released in conjunction with Safety Week 2020. For our listeners who don't know, each June, we mark this initiative internally, and it's time to review and recognize the best ways to keep uh, our members safe, given the dangerous work that we do. Safety Week has been part of the FDNY for some time, but for Safety Week 2020, we're doing things a bit differently. For the first time ever, we're sharing Safety Week training and information on FDNYPro.org. The FDNY would like to thank the FDNY Foundation and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation for helping to make this possible. All right, Mike, thanks for coming down and speaking to us today. Do you mind briefly explaining to our listeners what is the mission of the FDNY Safety Command? For safety in the FDNY, we're responsible for safety of not only fire members, we're responsible for the safety of EMS members, and we're responsible for our civilian members as well. The units that make up the Safety Command are research and development, which works with our vendors to make sure all of our tools and equipment are top of the line and up to speed on everything that we use and everything that we do. We work with fire operations in order to ensure that our procedures are correct, that our members are acting in the appropriate way, that they're acting in a safe manner, because again, we can't reduce all risk, but we always want to minimize the risk when we go into these dangerous situations. We also have underneath us, we have firefighter uh, injury and death investigation, a unit uh, that unfortunately has been used far too many times on the FDNY. But it's, again, a necessary component of us learning, making sure that nobody dies in vain, that we find out where we went wrong, change the procedures or change the equipment in order to better the FDNY and to better each member, because that's the best way we can honor that member is, again, to make sure that we don't make the same mistake twice. We also have underneath us the Handy Talkie Recording Unit that records the communications between our members. We can go back, look at those, find out where we went wrong or what we did wrong or what we did right. We also have three battalion chiefs and a captain that work in the safety command. They respond to third alarms or fourth alarms are better because the safety battalion and the safety coordinator on those type of incidents definitely need reinforcements to make sure that everybody goes home safe, which is our number one goal at each and every fire or emergency that we go into. We also work with the Bureau of Health Services. We can find out what type of injuries we're having, where we're getting burns possibly? Do we need to change something with the gear? Do we need to tweak something with the gear? Is a tool or piece of equipment malfunctioning or not being used properly so we can go out and give the proper training to that? We work with training. We give them all this information to make sure that they can better develop their training programs to help eliminate wherever we're having issues or problems with injuries. And again, accident investigation and entering accidents into our system. It's amazing how many responses we go on over a half a million a year. And we navigate those 99.5% of the time in the appropriate way, but we still have to investigate those accidents for that 0.5% of the time where we don't get to a box safely or are not able to operate at an incident safely. So maybe you could just talk briefly about the theme for this year in 2020? The theme for Safety Week 2020 is get to know your gear. 
And the reason that we picked that topic was in the three years that I've come over to safety from coming out of the field and coming out of Times Square was that working with all the manufacturers as we're trying to get our next generation of bunker gear, get our next generation of breathing apparatus, get our next generation of, of tools and equipment, I started to realize that I have 26 years on the job, 29 now, and I've been going in and out of burning buildings, throwing bunker gear on my entire career, and I didn't really know how that bunker gear was working, why it worked, how it worked, what it would really protect me against. I just went into burning buildings and did what I was supposed to do, and I started to ask around to other members of my command and other members out in the field, and very few people could actually tell us what the bunker gear is made up of, how it works, and what it does to help protect them. So uh, as a safety chief, again, as we try to educate those who work for us, and that way you can have knowledge is power as far as I'm concerned. And if you had the knowledge of how your gear worked, you might use it more responsibly and also know what the limitations of that gear were just as importantly, just so you get yourself out of a situation before you get yourself into a situation. As I mentioned in the intro, this year for Safety Week, all the information we're discussing in this episode will be available on FDNYPro.org. I understand there will be two webcasts and a booklet produced by the Safety Command that folks can access. Can you talk more about what's being featured on FDNY Pro? Sure. Uh, we're going to help produce one EMS webcast where they focus on the EMS-related gear, and that has Captain Yoni Klein, who is one of the most knowledgeable members we have at Research and Development. And then we also have a fire webcast, which is done by Battalion Chief Chris Iser, who actually serves on the NFPA committee for Bunker Gear as the FDNY representative. So he's also incredibly knowledgeable about our gear. And then we're also producing a booklet, an informational booklet on personal protective equipment. As far as PPE goes, let's start talking about Bunker Gear and the PPE ensemble, as they call it. You talk about the importance of understanding your PPE. What does that mean to a firefighter in the field? Knowing how your, your bunker gear works when you're using it as one cohesive unit, right? We're able to protect ourselves from significant injury or burn injury. So you want to make sure that you have everything on and have everything fastened properly. And that will help ensure that you go home the same way you came to work and in the same shape that you came to work. We want everybody to go home at the end of the day. There's so much that goes into the design, right? It's got to be maneuverable and it's got to provide the thermal protection. It's got to be durable. Just uh, really sure. a lot to evaluate, I'm sure. Sure. Historically, it's, it's actually pretty incredible. When I first came on, actually, bunker gear wasn't on the fire department. We just had the rubber boots, and we got issued a, a fire coat, as they would call it, when we came on to the fire department and a helmet. Hoods weren't there yet. So now the whole ensemble has grown uh, in a much safer and better way, and we've been able to eliminate so many burns and so many injuries that we used to have. We want you to make sure that you're wearing the correct boots, you have bunker pants on, your bunker jacket, your hood, and your helmet, and also your chin strap done. Okay. Well, I know you just went through a longer process of evaluating bunker gear, so you'd be the guy to ask here. Let's talk about a few of the performance metrics they use while evaluating PPE. Let's just do two. Let's do the total heat loss and the thermal protection performance. So the TPP, or, or, or thermal protection performance, right, that's going to be the ability of us to ward off 
fire and heat when we go into a structure that's on fire. That's what protects us or protects our skin from getting burnt. One of the most important components, believe it or not, every component is important, but one of the most important components is air in that ensemble, right? There's three different layers of that bunker gear that adds to our TPP properties plus air. So we have our thermal liner, which provides us 50% of our thermal protection. We have our vapor barrier, which provides us 25% of our thermal protection. And we have our outer shell, which also provides us 25% of thermal protection as well for us. Yeah. As we're going And in. I think the laboratory test, I was reading the book, it says it's in a laboratory and it's based on your bunker gear will protect you for 20 seconds in a flashover situation before receiving second degree burns, right? Right. What you do is you take the TPP, whatever your total number is, the NFPA standard is 35. Our bunker gear is somewhere around 42, 43. When we first get issued the bunker gear, believe it or not, when we wash it, the TPP actually goes up because everything is so tightly spun when it comes out of the factory. So the threads widen the first time we wash it. So anything we get issued, if we wash it one time, we actually increase the TPP on that garment to help improve your ability to not get burnt from that with the TPP. Talk about total heat loss also. When I talk about THL, it's the difference between when I played football in college and in high school, when I used to wear a cotton shirt underneath my equipment, and by the time that you were done with a game, your cotton shirt would weigh about 1,000 pounds or it felt like 1,000 pounds and retain all that water weight. So now in the advent of performance-enhancing gear, Bunker gear is also coming along scientifically with that, and they're also now measuring what is my heat loss, because if I have something on that just protects me and, and doesn't allow me to breathe or doesn't allow that heat to escape, I'm going to have a lot less, a lot less operation yeah. time. My performance is going to decrease a lot more quickly, so we want to have that exchange of protection, and we also want that heat to be able to escape from your body so you're able to perform for longer periods of time without injury and because and we all know injury happens when you get tired or when you get fatigued. All right, while we're on a bunker gear, let's talk about some of the limitations with the bunker gear our firefighters should be aware of. First off, just how about steam burn vulnerability? So steam burn vulnerability. So one of the things that we've found, again, and I, I didn't realize we did this, why did we use a straight stream nozzle instead of a a fog nozzle when we're operating. The reason that we use the straight stream over the fog nozzle is the fog nozzle creates a lot of droplets that go out into the air. We have the vapor barrier that's in between our outer shell and our thermal layer. And so what happens is that vapor barrier allows, because of that, that THL, the ability to breathe, it allows vapor to come from your body to, to escape to, forth, right? it has Otherwise to transmit back and forth. So the more steam that's in the air, the more likely the firefighter is to take a burn on their skin because steam can pass through that vapor barrier where water droplets are too big to pass through that vapor barrier. So that's why we use the straight stream because it creates a lot less steam in the hostile fire type of environment. Yeah, in turn protecting the engine firefighters in a high heat condition, right? Exactly. How about Explain compressive heat resistance. So compressive heat resistance happens again when we talked about that barrier before, how air is such a vital component, right? 50, and, uh, wasn't it 50% the air, air barrier? The oh, it's not 50%, okay. so it's like 
it's like so air is in each barrier. Gotcha. Okay. So but what happens? a major component of the protection. Which is a major component of the protection, right? The more air, which is why we layer up, right? In the wintertime, we're protecting ourselves from the cold or anything like that. If we layer, what that really does, or you put an extra couple of blankets on when you're laying in your bed, that puts a couple of extra layers on you, which traps more air and warms that air, which helps warm you. It's not just the blanket. So it's the same thing with our bunker gear. Unfortunately, what happens is when we put a SCBA on and we have the straps, straps, or if we're bending onto our knees or moving our arms, we're compressing that air and the air movement is moving away from our body. So therefore, more reducing our reducing, thermal protection yeah. and, and it has the ability now to, to get a burn to us where we wouldn't ordinarily get one if it wasn't compressed. So sometimes you end up with burns on the knees. Uh, right, the exactly. The, the classic case of that would be like the engine firefighter who's moving in on their knees because of the high heat and has to move in very low and their knees burn because of the compression part of that, which is why you want a thicker knee pad. And yeah, and to come back to what we said, the third limitation we talked about it with the thermal protection being a laboratory tested. But the reality is that's what it's tested for, 20 seconds, second degree burns. Right. But the reality in the field is... The reality in the field is, again, like we're operating with wet gear because we're sweating, right? We have that, that heat loss going on. When they do their scientific tests as they're developing this gear, they're unable to replicate the conditions that happen inside of a, a structure fire. We try to use what we learn by using our burns that we get from Bureau of Health Services and whatnot, comparing them to our gear and where can we help and reinforce our gear or add a little bit more to our gear to help reduce those burns. Hello, I'm Joe Minogue, a retired FDNY Lieutenant and liaison for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation to the FDNY. The National Fallen Firefighters Foundation is honored to continue our support of the FDNY. The FDNY Safety Week initiative is one more important project with our good partner, the FDNY Foundation. We at the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation understand how critical safety is to firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, and the department as a whole. Promoting safe operations and the correct use of personal protective equipment helps ensure that everyone goes home. Our programs and services support the entire fire service community, including all members, their families, and the departments they serve under. To learn more about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation and the programs we offer, like the 16 Life Safety Initiatives, please go to our website at firehero.org. Thank you, and stay safe. Let's talk about using the gear. Let's talk about the different parts. Suspenders, you say, are a big part. Suspenders are a huge part, right? They're supposed to be a two-inch overlap between your pants, where your pants end, and your fire coat. That's if you're reaching up to pull ceilings or you're reaching up to do other activities that it doesn't expose any part of your body. Your skin is always protected. As we're moving around in a fire building, we're in a lot of different positions. So you want to keep those suspenders on and keep them tight. And that way it overlaps. And that way you're not going to get a burn to one of those susceptible areas goes back of to your what body. You said. goes back to what you said in the beginning, using it all as a considering it one, one ensemble. Right. And not only that, but it also stops from, you know, from cancer-causing agents in the smoke, sure. from getting there and permeating into your skin. 
And you talked about the hood. Another thing you highlight is donning the face piece prior to the hood. Right. So the the correct way, and, and even the yes, the way most SCBAs are designed now today, uh, you're supposed to put your SCBA face piece on, then you take your hood, put it up over the top of your mask face piece, making sure, again, that there's none of those gaps where you're going to get a burn or that no contaminants can get in there. Chin straps? Chin straps are huge. So if you look at a lot of our fatal fire reports, when you lose your helmet in a fire, most of the time you're hunting around, searching around for that helmet. You're losing all your situational awareness, losing the ability to figure out what's happening, what's going on, and you're losing a very significant amount of your protection as heat and flame are coming in and around your head. We've had numerous fire fatalities that have occurred after one of our members has lost their helmets over the course of the last 20 years. So again, if you have that chin strap on, it just helps reduce that, that searching for that helmet and will help protect the firefighter. Yeah, and you talk about the importance of not altering your gear. Right. We definitely don't want any of our gear altered. Everything is painstakingly done. So the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, puts out a standard as to what's required. The FDNY always makes sure that we are as good as the NFPA requirement or better. Most of the time when it comes to our bunker gear, we always exceed what the NFPA suggests as their minimum standard because, again, we want to protect our firefighters. So many tests are done on this. We painstakingly do nine-month evaluations, so we get all-weather evaluations on all of our bunker gear, all of our gloves, all of our helmets. We never just buy something and put it right into play. We make sure that we work out all the kinks and the manufacturers, again, because we're the second largest fire department in the world, largest fire department in the country, will work with us to give us what we want. How does the cleanliness of a set of gear affect its ability to protect? We want to always keep our bunker gear clean, and it's twofold, right? If, if you have dirty bunker gear, we talked about that, that delicate balance of protecting yourself from fire and also the ability of the bunker gear to breathe. So if you have dirty gear, your gear is not breathing properly. So again, that's a huge issue because now you're going to become overheated. You're not going to be able to operate as long and as effectively as you would if you had clean gear going into that fire. And the other problem with dirty gear is, again, is when we talk about cancer reduction, is the dirtier your gear is, the more that that's seeping into your skin and getting into your system and will allow that to possibly over time again, that cumulative effect of causing some type of cancer down the road. So you want to keep it clean because it protects you and also protects you from not being able to operate as effectively as you want to and also because you want to have that heat exchange so you can continue to operate and you don't need to be relieved earlier. The message is getting out there, and I think it's definitely landing. You know, uh, our gear is being cleaned more than ever, which is a great thing, and probably we'll see more of it in the future. Explain what current procedures we have in place right now to launder our bunker, how we have two sets, and how it works. Sure. So the FDNY, before even it was as a best practice, one of the first things they did was give us two sets of bunker gear, and the reason being that if one set was wet or it was out of service, we'd have another set so we didn't lose the firefighter for the tour or for a, a significant amount of time until we get them replacement bunker gear. So we have two sets. Both sets of gear get washed at least once a year 
from an outside service vendor. They take our gear, they painstakingly go over it, they wash it, they clean it, they'll make any necessary repairs to that bunker gear to make sure, again, that the firefighter has the best ensemble possible, right? All gear has a 10-year lifespan, so they'll also check for that if the gear is coming close to retirement or about to go out of retirement, we'll issue a new set of gear How to that firefighter. How often does a set of gear make 10 years? Uh, it all depends on the company yeah. and the firefighter and how where they've been working and is where they've been average, operating. Is there an average? Do you know? Do you guys have? I would say or? you know I don't have the exact average, but I would say in a busy company, usually a set of gear will last five or six years, mm -hmm. just because of the wear and tear. If you're going on five or six thousand runs a year, it's more likely that your gear is going to take a beating on just a basic regular run. Not, not as critical as a fire, but on an emergency call, your gear is going to be taking wear and tear during that. And then we also have DSU that we send out. Anytime we have a second alarm or greater, uh, we, can, we have our, our own FDNY decon support unit, which washes gear whenever our members get exposed to any kind of hazmat, blood-borne pathogen. In this case that we just went through, COVID-19, if someone tested positive, they're going to send their gear out to our decon support unit, and we'll get it back to that firefighter or that firehouse, usually within 24 to 48 hours after. And again, we send that out after every second alarm as well, or greater. Again, just to allow the first two companies, hey, your gear's dirty, get it clean, you know, that way you're able to perform at your peak. In this department, anyone knows they could show up for a tour and be detailed anywhere in the city. And we used to just grab our bunker gear and throw it in our trunk and, and go. Talk about how we encourage our members to transport their gear now and, and some of the benefits of that. Sure, absolutely. And, and you know, Brian, it's, it's interesting you say that too because I always remember back after the terrorist attacks on 9-11, I used my own personal vehicle going back and forth to the World Trade Center site when I was working there with my gear in the back of the car. And my daughter at the time was one. I'd be driving around there. You could definitely smell it, the gear in the back of my truck as I'm driving around my one-year-old. And if, if I could do anything over in my life, I would probably switch that scenario out where I would have left the gear on scene or, or bagged it, which is why it's always so important for me to tell that story because we have gear bags that we give to firefighters for their details or if they're going to the fire academy and they need to bring their gear, you know, to put it into a gear bag, make sure that we zip up that gear bag, keep it contained in that bag so that you're not polluting your car polluting your environment in the car. Again, it's just going to keep you much safer. I mean, every one of us as we were young kids, when you'd walk into a firehouse, or even when we were probationary firefighters first going in, you always knew they went to a fire the night before because you could smell it the minute you walked in the front door and you wished that you had been working the tour before because you smelt that fire, you wanted to be a part of it, you wanted to be part of that unit. So just that alone should tell us that it's there, It's the threat is real, and to make sure that we transport it in the, in the safest way possible, that's to put it in its gear bag and put it back into its gear bag when we're going back home, not just to carry it loosely. Yeah, good information. Just give me an idea about the difference between the firefighter PPE ensemble and the EMS PPE ensemble. Sure. So the firefighter ensemble is made to be a structural firefighting gear. The outside has some thermal protection, the outer barrier, and it also is designed to protect us from rips, tears, as we're going around corners, as we're stretching. So for, against abrasion, right, you have the vapor barrier, 
which again allows the heat, the no vapors to get in, but allows the loss. And then we have the thermal liner. So EMS gear is different in the fact that they're not going into an IDLH, which when we go inside any kind of smoke condition or any kind of hazmat condition, we're going to be going into an IDLH. So again, the, the EMS gear is designed more for when they're working with patients or working with patients from fire, being in staging somewhere close to the command post, it still protects them from that smoke and, and heat that they might get out in the street or a couple of floors below the fire, but they don't need the same level of thermal protection as firefighter structural gears needs. Right. Mike, we appreciate you coming out. It's funny we're doing a, a podcast on PPE right now. Has PPE ever been a household word <laughs> until the de- you know the times we're living in right now? Exactly. Whoever thought that those three letters, right, PPE, <laughs> would be known all over the world, right? Yeah, it's the first yeah. incident we've ever gone to where right. you know you're dealing with it both at work and at home and 24/7, you know, and in the stores and out in public. And actually, Brian, one, one last point. One of the most amazing things that I didn't even realize, and and no one ever told us about it as we were working with our manufacturers when we were picking out our new bunker gear and as we're trying to update what makes up our bunker gear now is that the NFPA requires one hour of virus protection on fire and EMS gear what we had no idea about until COVID-19 started and sure enough that there is one hour of virus protection as per the standard so somebody was incredibly intelligent when making up that standard Someone's way back ahead when. of the curve Yes. Well, listen, Mike, we appreciate you coming down. This has been great information. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. On behalf of the FDNY, we thank the FDNY Foundation and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation for their support of Safety Week 2020 on FDNYPro.org. FDNY Pro is online at FDNYPro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to fdnyfoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.